Sermon number 647, The Household That Had Everything Preached in the First Presbyterian Church on Sunday, May, of Bakerstown on Sunday, May 13th, 1973, which was Mother's Day. The text is taken from Matthew, the 10th chapter, the 36th verse. A man's foes will be those of his own household. Matthew, the 10th chapter, beginning at the 26th verse. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, utter in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's will? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And with these words of scripture, I begin to tell you about a household that had everything. It was the household of the patriarch Jacob. Jacob's household had everything. Because of his business ability, he was shrewd and capable. Money was never enough stickle and whatever dwelling Jacob put his household it was always a place of beauty there's nothing prettier than a beautiful home but that household had more than beauty it had bigness for Jacob was a man who fathered twelve sons all big husky strong handsome gentlemen and we know that he had at least one daughter, Dinah. It was a big, beautiful family. A 
family that had everything, including that one inescapable ingredient that is needed if there's to be any happiness at all, love. You'll remember Jacob waited and worked 14 years to get Rachel, and that's love. And he loved Rachel, and Rachel loved him. A beautiful household, a big household, a loving household, and a religious household. For Jacob was a man in his later life who knew who he was. He had quit running a long time before. He was in good communication with heaven. He was an individual, you remember, who wrestled all night with the representative of God. And Jacob won. And he refused to let go of God's representative until he had the assurance that he was blessed to be a blessing. Jacob was a religious man, and I'm sure that religion rubbed off on his sons and his daughter, and together with the life that he had with Rachel. It was a home that was beautiful. It was big, it was loving, and it was religious. Jacob's home household had everything, including a pack of family trouble. And in the reading of the scripture, you never want to forget that this household was one that knew a tremendous amount of trouble that came in the form of tribulation, trial, and tragedy. Jacob would never forget that day when word came home that his daughter Dinah had been defiled by a man not only of a different faith, but a man from a different race. How could a man ever forget an experience like that if it happened to his daughter. He would never forget standing idly, helplessly by as he watched the love of his life, Rachel, die while she gave birth to, their, to his twelfth son. He didn't know it at the time but there was a great generation gap and credibility gap in his family. And this is evidenced by the fact that his sons deliberately deceived him. In other words, they lied to their father when they brought home that sport coat of their 17-year-old brother, the sport coat that the father had given Joseph the sport coat now was dripping with goat's blood, and they allowed their father to believe that it was Joseph's blood, that he had been killed by some wild beast, when in reality they had sold him into slavery. Now a man to go through the things that he had to go through created lots of trouble in Jacob's household. That household of Jacob had everything, including a lot of trouble. You see, this is one of the things that I think we have been misleading some people 
in believing that just because there is money, just because there is bigness, just because there is love, just because there is religion, they will never come to that household trouble. That's not true. And if you dispute my idea of it, I suggest that you spend this afternoon in reading the last 25 chapters of the book of Genesis in the old chapter. And if that's not in the Old Testament, and if that's not enough, go to the New Testament and study what Jesus himself has to say about homes, especially the very terrible, difficult words that we read today where Jesus himself says that a man's own foes will be those of his household. Yes, money can help, and bigness may help, and love is a necessity, as is religion, to help the family to get out of trouble. But even love and religion cannot serve as premiums on insurance policies to be sure that your family will never have trouble. Family problems come. And they come to us all. And therefore, that's why today I preach on this family Sunday about some problems that maybe some of you are having today with your family. And I want, to the best of my ability under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to, to try and help and show you what Jacob did and did not do when trouble came to his home. And the first thing that we see is that when to this household that had everything came that uninvited visitor, trouble, Jacob did not spend time in trying to concentrate on the fault finder. He was not interested necessarily in knowing, as you and I often are when something happens, whose fault? Jacob did not point fingers. When the word came about Dinah's purity being ruined, Two of her brothers got very excited and they went into the town of that man and they ruined that whole town and they destroyed buildings and took innocent lives. And Jacob was more upset in finding fault with his own sons than he was in finding the individual who ruined the reputation and the purity of his daughter. When he saw Rachel there, in the pains of giving birth, dying. He didn't blame God as some of us blame God when the life of a loved one is taken, nor did he blame little Benjamin, who perhaps was the cause of the death. You see, Jacob had that unique ability not to be always concentrating on finding fault with someone. Now, even, even when his sons brought home that fabricated story about their brother Joseph, and Jacob still believed, 
You don't find him bawling out the sons for not taking better care of their younger brother, nor do you find him going looking for a weapon to go out and search out that wild beast that devoured his son. No, no, no. He wasn't interested in getting even. He wasn't interested in finding out whose fault the trouble was. He was an individual who knew what some of us have still yet to learn. That blaming God or other people or even yourself, it may bring some relief to the tension and it may bring some release to the frustration, but fault-finding never brings about reconstruction, renewal, and reconciliation. Never, ever. You see, Jacob didn't find fault with God, nor with other people, nor with himself. And that's where some of us have a hang-up. When some terrible trouble happens, we immediately think that we are at fault, and sometimes we are, but other times we are not. But because of our guilt of past sins, because of our, what Harris calls the not okay position in life, we have this tendency to feel guilt-ridden. Jacob didn't have that. Well, he could have very easily said, God has taken away my son because I stole my brother's birthright when we were younger. My sons have deceived me because I deceived my father, Isaac, when I was younger. But no, you see, you, you have no indication that Jacob felt any guilt. And remember, he was the one who sent Joseph on the trip from which there was no return. No, that's the wonderful thing about Jacob, and I think he got it from his religion really understanding who he was, that his life was not to meant to be a curse, but he was blessed to be a blessing. So consequently, though he tells his children that he will go down to the grave with great sorrow, he nevertheless was not interested in putting God or taking somebody else in the grave with him, nor was he willing to go to the grave until the Lord himself put him there. <coughs> So, you see, he did not spend time concentrating on finding fault. Rather, as an individual who knew who he was, he just merely picked up the pieces and began to confront the famines in his life. He had an emptiness there. He had a void. He had that feeling that we all get when there's something empty and missing and ugly within our family life. And he tried to work with that. He tried to fill the void. He tried, though he was one son less, he still loved the others and he tried to give all the love that he could to his family. He was an individual who did the best of his ability to fill the voids and to confront the famines in his life. And about 15 years or so later, there came a famine unto the land. And Jacob sent ten of his sons to Egypt because it was Egypt 
that alone had grain for food. And you know, though Jacob could not realize it at the time, and did not know it until many years later, the time would come when Jacob would thank God for that famine. Oh, it was terrible at the time. He at times didn't know how he was going to withstand confrontation with that famine. But he did it, and later on in his life, he thanked God for that emptiness, that hell, that horrible experience of going through such a famine. You see, because eventually he found out that God was in that famine, and he realized that if there had not been a famine, his son Joseph would not have been allowed to be released from prison to interpret the dream of Pharaoh that predicted the famine. And if Joseph had not come in contact with Pharaoh, Pharaoh would never have seen the administrative ability that this young boy had. And if Pharaoh had not ever seen that administrative ability, he probably would never have picked him to administrate his program of collecting and distributing grain and giving to him the title the Secretary of Agriculture. And if he had not that title of Secretary of Agriculture and been present that day in the market distributing grain, he probably would never have met the ten brothers who had deceived him and betrayed him and had sold him to the traveling caravans as a slave. And if he had never met his brothers again, he would have never been able to forgive them. And if he had never been able to forgive his brothers, Jacob and Benjamin would never have been reunited with Joseph. And if Jacob had never been reunited with Joseph, Benjamin would never have been able to bless his son Joseph and his grandsons and give unto them the same blessings that his father Isaac had given to him from his grandfather Abraham. But all because of the famine. Jacob was blessed to be a blessing. I know, it's hard. It's terribly hard to believe today when we're in the midst of some famine and feel some emptiness in our family life and, and try to confront the problems and confront those famines that we have to believe that someday we will actually thank God for the horribleness of this moment. That's terribly hard to do. God works in wondrous and mysterious ways. His wonders always to perform. But it's hard, isn't it, when you're walking through the valley to believe that there is ever an end to the valley. It's hard to believe in the darkness of some midnight that the sun will ever rise again. And it's tremendously difficult in the midst of some famine to know that eventually you'll look back upon that famine as being a blessing in disguise. And there's only one way any one of us can have that kind of feeling today when we're in the midst of some storm or some trouble or some famine. 
We can have that only in the same way that Jacob could have that belief, and that is not by concentrating on the faults, but it's by confronting the families, by continuing to have faith. Faith in God, faith in our fellow men, and faith in ourselves. That's what Jacob had. Never once after these horrible experiences do you see Jacob cursing God. Well, he still continues to pray. He still continues to meditate upon the truths that he has learned. He still believes that God is working. Paul didn't say it until nearly 1,600 years later that God works in all things, which includes famines, for the good, for those who love him and are called by his name. And Jacob loved God, and he knew that he had been called to be a blessing. So he believed God. He believed his fellow man. Even, even those sons who had lied to him, he believed them. And when they said the second time that they couldn't go back unless they took Benjamin with them, Though Jacob hesitated, he nevertheless, believing in his sons, allowed Benjamin to go into Egypt. At first he wouldn't believe his sons when they said that they had found Joseph. But when he saw the wagons, the Bible said, he believed. He believed in his fellow man. And he believed in himself. Instead of realizing that the best thing for him to do would be to quit, resign from the human race, and to die, he decided that he was a blessing and that God would work him in this life giving blessings to other people until God would be finished with him and then he would die. He believed that. And I present to you today this idea that I think that's what helped Joseph get through the famine in his land, the famine of experience which he knew. The way that Joseph was able to say no to Potiphar's wife was because of the faith that he had in God and other people and in himself. The reason that Joseph was able to remain patient in prison for a crime that he did not commit was because of faith that he had in God and other people and in himself. The reason that Joseph was such a great administrator during that time of, of famine was that he had faith in other people, especially people of the other race who worked for him and for whom he worked. The reason that Joseph could say to his brothers who thought that their younger brother would never forgive them for the horrible thing that they did was because Joseph believed that though the brothers meant it for evil, God used it for good. And you know what? I present to you also this idea today that Joseph got that faith not because he sought for it, not because it was taught to him, but because he caught it. He caught it from his father, Jacob. That's where he got it. Those 17 years that he had with his father, he caught a faith in God, a faith in other people, a faith in what it means to believe in yourself. 
That's why I like Mother's Day. That's why I like Father's Day. That's why I like these days when we have to concentrate upon those people from whom we have caught so much in life. And on these days, you know, we don't think about those mistakes they made, and they made them just like we make them today. Those wonderful parents, we don't think on their weaknesses, their errors, those ugly moments that we wish we could forget. No, we think on those good things, those things that we have caught and instilled within our own lives. You see, you who are parents, there's two things that God does not want you to steal from your children. One of them is God never wants you to rob your children of their childhood. And secondly, God never wants you to rob your child whom he has given to you as a loan. He never wants you to rob that child of having the opportunity of seeing what it means to believe in God, in other people, and in yourself. And I guarantee you today that with this great multitude present, with your family spread all over the world today, there are some of your children who are going through some famine right now. And the only thing they have to hang on to is the faith that they caught from you. The faith in God, in other people, and in themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, you never know when a famine is going to hit your family. The God who has given us everything does allow trouble to come into our households. And when it comes, and come it will, may we remember Jacob and his household, and may we not just concentrate on whose fault it is, but may we rather confront the families by continuing to have faith in God, in each other, and in ourselves, and our children, whom we trust have caught something of what it means have faith in God and other people and in themselves. And then when we're going through that particular famine, though it may be hard to understand and even more difficult to accept, at least we can believe that the God who has given all good things to our household which we have now, he is merely on his way in bringing us something more. May God bless all of our homes today, whether they be in prosperity or in famine. He can, if you believe that he is doing it now. Amen. Father, long before you made nations, you made the church, 
And long before you ever made the church, you made the family. And long before you made the family, you made the individual. And to all of us, you gave the ability to believe in you, in each other, and in ourselves. So, Father, we believe. Help thou our unbelief.